I want to pick back up where we left off last week if you want to turn to Ezekiel chapter 47. We were looking at the houses of God, the tabernacles of God. I'm not sure we're going to finish up the theme of worship so much this week or not, but we better revisiting the tabernacles and temples that we looked at firstly of Moses, David, Solomon, Ezekiel, and revisiting them looking into glean application for our worship today and how we can worship God in spirit and in truth now that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47. And so last week I got to uh, through Six of these little application type things, um, I'm just going to read them again in your hearing. If you weren't with us, you can go back and listen to that online. Firstly, obedience to God is more important than understanding the why. That was in the context of Abraham. He obeyed, and we know that obedience is more important than a sacrifice, that God is looking for us to do what He asks and worship Him even if we don't understand everything about it. So that's the foundation of worship. Two, God may ask you to worship in a way that doesn't make sense at the time. We talked about the details that God gave to Moses in the tabernacle, and, and he didn't have to understand all of it. He didn't, he didn't need any of that, and it's really very similar to what the, the application we're getting out of, or I, I taught out of Abraham, is, is that God may ask you to do something, and it's really for a... a future generation to understand. And we looked at Hebrews and the fact that the tabernacle of Moses was actually a mere copy or shadow of what is to come. It's supposed to be teaching the people of God something that he was to reveal at a later date. And you can get that out of Hebrews. Ultimately, that that the tabernacle is the house of God. We are going to be in the presence of God one-on-one with him. And so Moses was building a replication of heaven's worship where God would dwell with man and he could worship him face to face. And that brings us to our third one is that sometimes God wants us to worship in ways that we don't understand for the sake of others. Is that that even when you don't understand why God gives you all of these details, perhaps there's a generation coming after us that will be brought privy to this knowledge is for these thousands of years they worshiped in the tabernacle and then in the temple this certain way and, and Jesus spoke of this worshiping in spirit and truth and it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came and dictated to Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews what was that, that this was a revelation of, of a copy in the shadow of the a proper worship of worship in spirit and in truth is that perhaps What we're looking at and wanting in worship in our own lives or in this church body is really meant for a future generation. We don't have all the details yet. God gives us, the Holy Spirit gives us what we can handle and understand for the moment. This is why I believe very strongly that my children, being brought up fourth generation believers, are going to have a better understanding of the Word of God at at the time they're 35 than I do now. I hope. That's my prayer is that the things that I have gleaned and learned from the Holy Spirit, I pass on to them, and they have it by way of revelation through their father, their grandfather, their great-grandfather. Sometimes the things that we want and worship are reserved for future generations. And that was the fifth one, is that God may give us a vision for future worship that was really meant for another generation. King David wanted to build a temple, and it wasn't a wrong desire. But it wouldn't be until his son would come along that he would benefit from that. And so perhaps the visions, and this, the, the, the little nugget out of that application last week was that perhaps God has given you a vision for what's going to happen in this house of worship. Do you know that, that Brother Noel, um, Jim Noel, I hope he wouldn't care, I guess he's not here so it doesn't matter, but he wouldn't care me sharing this, but he shared privately with me one time that he had vision of going into Blacksburg Hospital, Lewis Gale, and walking down the hallways and praying for people, and they were all emptying, getting out of their hospital beds and going home. And I've held on to that for a long time. He was a man of great faith, and that was something that he believed God was going to do in his lifetime. Now, that doesn't mean that he misheard God. 
My point I'm trying to make is that sometimes God gives us a vision for something so that we can prepare the next generation to walk it out. God gave to David this this desire and said, okay, but you're a man of bloodshed. Instead, I'm going to have you prepare all of the materials so that your son can walk it out. So don't give up on those desires, those visions that God may have given to you about this church. Perhaps he wants you to prepare the next generation to walk it out. Fourthly, yes, I'm going backwards. Worship not centered around the presence of God is not really worship at all. And this was the difference between David and Saul. That David became king and the first thing he did was, let's go after the ark of God for we did not seek it out in the days of Saul. That was a big thing. Is that David's first act was to bring the ark. They failed miserably. A couple months later, they brought it back and he set up this tabernacle, David's tabernacle, where there was worship day and night for 33 years. The last one we looked at last week was don't elevate your desires in worship over the blessing of the Spirit. Sometimes we get so caught up in what we want that we want to do things this way. We want the worship leader to do this way. We want the songs to sound this certain way that we miss out on what God wants to do. And so we need to we need to focus on God and may God be the centerpiece of our, in the focus, the object of our worship so that we don't miss out on the blessing of the Holy Spirit in our worship. Now, there are a couple more applications of Scripture that I hope we can glean from the, looking at the last temple in Ezekiel. I don't expect that this is new for anyone. In fact, I taught on this application several years ago. Um, I'm sure you all have heard it. This is not some new great revelation, but it is a practical revelation of the river of God and how we ought to worship. Ezekiel chapter 43 is where the house of God is filled with the glory. 44 and 45 and 46 is the restoration of the people and the God's temple and the dedication of all all that stuff. We're going to skip all that and pick up in 47. I closed out by reading these verses. We did not have time to get through all of this last week. Let's start in verse 1 of 47. This is the guy that brought Ezekiel in his vision. He says, Then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east. For the house faced the east, and the water was flowing down from under from the right side of the house from south of the altar. That's a really fancy way to say the house was faced east, and there's water flowing east through the front door, and it's going around the altar, taking a little deviation to the south side of it. That's what's happening. Verse 2, he brought me out by way of the north gate, so he's leading him on the opposite side around, very specific, and led me around the outside of the outer gate by way of the gate that faces east, and behold, water was trickling from the south side. That is the south side of the altar we read about in verse 1. Now, we often hear this chapter You know we have ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, over your head. We often hear presented with four depths of water. We start at our ankle, don't we? But have you ever noticed how much water is flowing at the temple itself? It's trickle. In fact, there really are five locations that they're looking at in this temple. There's a trickle at the gates. From there, they move out a thousand cubits. At the temple, at the house of God, where God dwells, there's a trickle. At the southern side of the eastern gate, there's a trickle. It all starts as a trickle. So the first thing that I'd like to point out is that God himself fills the temple. The place of worship begins where God dwells. Uh, the, The river of God, the glory of God, must begin with God himself in his house. Do you know, your body which is a temple, it can't be more consecrated than it already is through Christ Jesus. It's already been dedicated and cleansed and consecrated. We're going to apply this, but for for me, the first first acknowledgement that we have to make is that, that God is in the house before worship begins. Before we can even step into the river and worship the way that we ought, we have to recognize that God, it begins with God at his temple, at his feet, because God has filled the house. We often just jump to the ankle deep and say, well, I'm going to do what I have to do, but, but understand that the water flows directly from the place in which he dwells. And when we are the temple, are consecrated, you're really only consecrated because Christ Jesus has made you that way. You can't worship, 
You can't get in ankle-deep water because you feel like it. You worship, you get in the ankle-deep water because Christ Jesus has consecrated you. It's because He has filled your temple that you are then able to reflect and worship God and get into that ankle-deep. You must understand that you are consecrated, your house, your temple, by God, and it starts and begins with Him. Now, this glory of God begins in His temple by Himself. It is His glory which flows from us, from our temples, and God's glory, it inhabits this temple on the count of all His doing. It's by Jesus. We can't do anything to deserve His presence. We can't do anything to deserve the Holy Spirit. It's simply because Christ Jesus finished the work. Christ Jesus ascended. Christ Jesus sent the paracletos. The Holy Spirit filled us by the word of Christ Jesus. Then, out of that temple will flow rivers of living water. Out of our bellies shall flow. God did the work. He did all the sacrificing through His Son. He did all the consecration. We are simply beneficiaries of His glory. His glory begins with Himself. But His glory is not intended to stay with Himself. That's the second part of this. Let's look at verse 3. When the man went out toward the east with a line in his hand, so we have at the temple a trickle. When he went out east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits and he led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and he led me through the water, water reaching the loins. Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not ford for the water had risen enough water to swim in a water uh, excuse me, a river that I could not be forded. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back to the bank of the river. Church, have you seen this? Are you hearing this? Now, I've heard many numerous applications made about the depth, the width of the river. But the truth is that the Word of God does not specifically explain what we are to get from this information. Some people believe that this is entirely figurative of the kingdom of God. Others believe that this is just an analogy of the new heavens and the new earth. Yet there are those of us that believe it is a literal river that which one day will be manifested during the millennial reign of Christ Jesus. And I believe that this vision of this river that Ezekiel had has both literal and symbolic elements to it. But regardless of whether or not you think that this is a future literal river, I think what is perfectly appropriate is that we consider whether or not there is spiritual application for us in the here and the now. And as I've mentioned, there, this is something that I've taught some years ago, but personally I believe that the vision of this river from the temple of God serves as perhaps, perhaps the best basis for biblical worship that there can be found in the Word of God. It's so clear to me that as this is being told and the guide is taking him, that there is this desire, there ought to be this desire to get into the river and to go into deeper water. He doesn't just take them to the edge and observe all this. He takes them out to observe the water's depth and he keeps taking him down for a reason. How do we get that? That's how. But there's also this, we know that there's a desire or we should know that there's a desire to get downstream based off of the healing qualities that are going to come in the verses of the next section. But allow me, if you will, just to liken this to worship. Liken this river to our worship. Just trust me on it, and hopefully we'll have time to circle back around to the how it is. But let's let this river serve as a biblical model for true spiritual worship. It begins with a trickle, as I said, in the framework of worship. I think that it's helpful to acknowledge God as Lord. This is the basic understanding. We come to the temple. It begins with a trickle. It has to start with God. All we're doing is observing it. You're not even really getting wet. You're just saying, God, thank you for sending your son. This is acknowledgement that he is Lord. Psalm 46.10 says, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Acknowledge God first. This is like an awareness of the water. It's just a trickle. Awareness of God. You only need a drop of water to receive eternal life. 
This is at that moment of salvation where you come to know that God is God. Acknowledgement. It's a trickle of glory in your life. It's where it begins. Now, not everyone will taste of his water because not everyone is looking for a drink. That's the reality. Come to me, those that are thirsty. Jesus wants to, to, to quench everyone's thirst, but not everyone's coming. It's when you acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, it's at that moment the glory begins to work, get to work in your life. It comes from him, it starts in his temple, but then there's something that happens as we navigate, as we mature a thousand cubits eastward. As you grow, suddenly this water is supernaturally, his glory is deepening in your life. Remember, this is, I, I'm paralleling this, a couple metaphors and analogies going on at the same time. Our body is a temple. Let's personalize this. We are carriers of His presence, of God's glory. And as we get into this water of life, this river of life that comes from God's glory, His house, His dwelling place, something's going to happen to His glory. It's actually going to supernaturally get deeper and grow wider. And so as we navigate, as we mature, the water is now ankle deep. The picture to me is like this. It's like moving into thanksgiving for what he's done. Acknowledgement first, but the first basic stop is thanksgiving. As far as praise and worship is concerned, thanksgiving is the refreshing starting point. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, Psalm 104. It's as if before you get into that holy place, that's the picture here, to the courts, Enter his gates, you're walking through and through his courts next, but as you walk to the gates, there's thanksgiving. This is the beginning place of worship. Before you can get to that holy of holies, we must navigate through the temple gates, through that place of thanksgiving. I wonder how often you stop and thank God for all that he's done for you. Or are you only interested in asking him for more, for newer, for better? making your requests. Oh, let me just get worship a little bit out of the way so that my heart's right. I'm going to confess my sin. I'm going to feel good about myself. And then, if all goes well Sunday morning, I can pray a real holy, righteous prayer Sunday night. Oh, to thank God and just be satisfied with that. Lord, I'm sorry for my selfishness. Let me stop and pause and reflect on your goodness before I go anywhere. Let me just stay at your gates right now, Lord, and reflect. And thank you for all that you've done for me. That you've called me. That you loved me. That you sent me your son. That you give me, you've graciously spared me from hell. True in spiritual worship ought to be filled with thanksgiving. Psalm 50, 23 says, He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. Thanksgiving is a sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise and worship. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. Now as we continue downstream, a thousand more cubits, the water is now knee deep. I think a lot of Christians make it here. We make it here most times, a lot of times. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with what? I liken this to moving into a spirit of praise, knee-deep water. After acknowledging God, after we thank him, we're now walking closer and closer to that holy place. We're, We're now into his courts. We're praising him. What's the difference between thanksgiving and praise? I'm glad you asked. Thanksgiving is thanking Him for what He has done, while praise is adoring Him for who He is. It's it's a maturing process of understanding God's character. Not just, God, thank you for calling me out of darkness. Great start. It's got to be a starting place. But God, 
Thank you that you are love. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you're merciful. That he's faithful, understanding his very nature and his character. Praise follows after thanksgiving as this natural response when we deepen our faith and we come to know God more and more. Not just his actions. So many people are familiar with the things that he's done in the word, but they're not really ever come to know him intimately, to know him more and more. This is where praise, we begin to praise him for that. Now, be careful not to take this analogy too far. I'm not suggesting that we have no need of thanksgiving once we go into the courts. These all happen all in conjunction together. And I'm also not saying that we have no need of praise if we go deeper wa- in deeper water still, but there is always room to praise God. There's always room to thank God. We have to acknowledge God to begin to be able to do all this. Peter says, Proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's always room to stop and praise God. What I think is helpful for us to consider is that there will be times when the attitude of our hearts takes us from praise to even deeper water. So we head downstream to the east, another thousand cubits. And Ezekiel found that the water was up to his waist. Get on in the water, Ezekiel, come out here. What's it feel like? Now it's getting harder to navigate through the glory of God's river on your own strength. How many of you ever walked across waist-deep water? It's flowing. Yeah? You're starting to feel the effects of God. This is, you know, you can still walk. You can get out if you need to. You feel like you need to. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'll call this adoration. Feeling a draw and a love and a relationship with God. Psalm 99.5 says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His footstool. Holy is He. It's, it's, a, it's beyond just praise for who He is, but it's, it's a worship and adoring for who He is. It's a love for Him which is almost unquenchable. And it's, it's not, let's not think of a, you know, a platonic relationship on earth or a um, sexual relationship, not that kind of love. It's, this is much deeper. This is the, the love which comes from God. It's an agape love. It's, it's not just a relational, oh, I, I, I'm attracted to this person. It's you can't stop thinking about this person. You want to be with, with him every waking moment. This is adoration. It's you're infatuated with God. And consider how Example, maybe like Mary, how she worshipped at the feet of Jesus and she poured out this costly perfume and she's wiping his feet with his tears. How many of us have poured out our perfume before Christ and cried on his feet and worshipped at his feet? And yet, if if we're in this analogy, this is really only waist deep. There's even deeper water. This place of the stream is where we feel the effects and the power of the Holy Spirit, the glory of the river of God. I know you've been in places where you've felt the Holy Spirit's pull on you in worship. Well, there's even deeper water. Let's head downstream. Now, a thousand more cubits, and they measured, and it was over his head. And although I don't know that there's really a good standard worshipy term for this, I think one that is close to encapsulating it, I'm going to call communion. These are the times that we're lost in the presence of the Lord, perhaps even unaware of the things around us. I don't know if you've ever been in a service like that, but you don't have any regard to time. You wouldn't ever be interested in an ending. This is the kind of experience which unfortunately is rare in our church services, but I desire. In fact, I don't believe that most professing Christians have ever even been in this deep of water. It's such a sweet place, a total surrender to the Holy Spirit, perfectly flowing in unity and guidance by Him alone. You can't swim against it. You can't get out. 
you're just totally under control of the current of the Holy Spirit. And yet, as scary as that is, in practical um, survival analogy of our lives, when it's spiritual, it's the best thing you can have. If we could actually surrender ourselves and stop going against the current and just completely be guided by the Holy Spirit, life gets a whole lot easier and sweeter. It really does. You can't swim against it, can't walk out of it. You're just caught up in the glory of the river. I, think, I for one, think that's what Paul was describing. I think he was having a, well, we don't know specifically there's a worship moment, but he's, he talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that he was caught up in the paradise and he heard inexpressible things, a word, words that a man is not permitted to speak. I think that's what was happening there. He was caught up, he was lost, he had found neck deep water. Well, we see that the glory of God begins in the temple by God himself, but then in the next verses, verse 7, the end of 6 says, he brings them to the bank of the river. 7, now when I had returned, behold, on the bank of the river there were very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, these waters go out toward the eastern region and down to the Arabah, and they go towards the sea, being made to flow into the sea, and the waters of the sea become fresh. It will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live, and there will be very many fish for these waters go there and the others become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. And it will come about that the fishermen will stand beside it from the Engedi to the Angleum, and they will be the place for the spreading of nets. Their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the great sea, very many. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. By the river on its bank, on one side and on the other, will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, their fruit will not fail. They will bear every month because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for, the, for food and their leaves for healing. The second thing that we see in this begins with God, but it doesn't stay there, as I've said. No, his life flows from the temple to where? Not just to the believer. Now, we would, we would think that would, perhaps we think that would be the case. God is going to share His glory with those that are in His Son. Isn't that sweet? That's awesome. It is awesome. He's going to share this, this river of life. We can jump in the water. We can swim in His water. We get to drink of it. We never thirst again. And He's sharing it all with us. But Ezekiel gets something a little bit different. We're just going to tweak it a little bit. It's not just for those that are thirsty. It's those that are dead that are going to really benefit from it. The water is not meant to be contained. It's not just for the believer, those that find themselves at the temple. It doesn't stay in a pool up there. The glory navigates to the Dead Sea, that is, the Sea of the Dead. I wonder if any of you have ever met someone who's dead. That's one of the main blessings of God's river. It turns the death of the world into life in the Spirit, that the nations might be healed. I hope you're getting it. The fruit that comes from living in the water, from our worship and praise, is not just for our own sake and prosperity. Rather, our fruit is to turn around and feed others. The glory of God was never meant to be contained. The glory is not a reservoir. It's not behind a dam. It's not stagnant. It flows from the place God dwells outward for the healing of the nations. Now, it would be very easy for Ezekiel here to say, oh, it flows out to his chosen people, the apple of his eye, Israel. But he didn't. The nations. Abraham, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Ezekiel gets a picture of it and says, guess what? This river is not just for you, Israel. For all the nations. In Revelation, guess who's gathered together at the throne of God? From every tribe and every tongue, every nation is represented there that have partaken of his river. And this, for me, is what gets me most excited about worship. When we begin to reflect upon God,
and his goodness at the temple. If we aren't careful, what will happen is that we end up getting swallowed up in his river of glory to heal the nations. The waters of the sea become fresh. I don't know if you you understand how science, how logic works. That's not normally how it works. When the river meets the ocean, it gets to become brackish. It kind of makes the river undrinkable. Yet, Ezekiel's vision is saying, this, this river is so pure, it actually heals the salt of the deadness. Salt was used to scorch the land. Nothing could grow. This is what's so interesting about the Dead Sea. It's so salty. Nothing can grow there. There's no fish that are there. It's got so much water flowing into it, but nowhere coming out, so the salt's just accumulated and accumulated. But God's river, His glory, when it flows into a place that's dead and doesn't make sense, it heals it. What happens when we get into the river of God is supernatural. We become the conduit in turning the undrinkable, uninhabitable waters into life-giving waters. Out of your belly shall flow what? Who said that? What was the context? Louis said it's John 7. Let's turn and see. John chapter 7. Pop quiz. John chapter 7, verse 37. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Stop there. What's the lead-up? They're feasting. Jesus is speaking of thirsting. One might assume that he was talking about salvation. But that's the thing. Jesus isn't just talking about salvation. Salvation is a part of it. If you believe in me, look at the next verse, verse 39. The context is greater than that. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Believe first, Spirit second. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus, when he says, out of your belly shall flow, or your innermost beings, depending on what translation you have, when he says that, he's talking about the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Notice here that the disciples believed in Jesus without receiving the Holy Spirit. They believed in Him. They had not yet received it. That is, they drank of the water without having the waters flow forth from their bellies. There are a lot of Christians that have had drinks of the water, but the water is not flowing forth from their bellies. There are those that believe in Jesus and have yet to be filled with His Holy Spirit. Now, those words that I just said are ju- were just as divisive as they were then as they are today. In fact, if you keep reading the next couple of verses, what you'll find is that some people, because of those words He spoke, said He's the Christ, and others said, nope, we want to kill Him because He's blaspheming. Sounds a lot like the church today, doesn't it? Who is this Holy Spirit you speak of? That doesn't sound like anything in my Bible, many say. What I'm suggesting that we each do is that we each should make sure by prayerfully asking God if we are missing the purpose and message of these words of Christ. I don't know about you, but I want my innermost being to flow forth rivers of living water. Ask God. Say, God, revelate. Can I use that word? Is that, is that a made-up word? I'm going to use another one, Julie. Revelate to me. 
also known as reveal. <laughs> reveal, revelate. I'm going to stick with it. I'm, doubled, I'm doubling down. <laughs> it does. It's a good word. Revelate to me the truth of your Holy Spirit. Simple prayer. Just, pray, just say, God, what's your word say? Luke 11, 9 through 13, he says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. The end of that section, that verse 13, he says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? That's the context. See, we, we see Jesus' words as just salvation, and we, we put a full stop and a period there. So Jesus came to preach salvation. But you know what Jesus came to preach about? Not just salvation, but receiving his Holy Spirit also. These go together. He was saying that in order for you to be effectual and to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, I know about something you're going to need. I know about it because it's me in the form of my spirit. But I have to go to the right hand of the Father in order to send you someone who's going to empower you to, to live the way, way that I lived. Jesus had a foretaste of it. You know what it's like to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He was baptized by John. What happened? A dove was descending upon him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. God lived in the Son of God and equipped him as the Son of Man to do the mighty deeds in which he did. He says, greater things will you do because I will go to the Father. I will send to you the Helper, the Paracletos. So now, by extension to us, when we're filled with the Spirit... And when, then, then and only then, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, will gush forth from our bellies rivers of water, healing water, the glory of God water, not just for your own good, but for the healing of the nations. We often think in the charismatic church, I think it's an honest mistake that we make, that the baptism of the Spirit is just a gift for us. Oh, thank you, God, for the baptism. And we ought to thank God. I'm, I'm, don't mistake what I'm saying. Thank God for it. It is a gift. Absolutely, it's a gift. He doesn't need to, but He did. But we think it's just for us. It's kind of personal thing, right? But He didn't give you the Holy Spirit just to be a blessing to you. The Holy Spirit was really intended... so that the world might come to know him through signs and wonders, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we see this picture also in worship as we're looking at Ezekiel chapter 47. As we meditate on it, we under, come to understand the blessing of the Holy Spirit is likened by Jesus himself to the waters of life. Jesus speaks of these waters flowing outward, downward, for the benefit of others. Out of your bellies, out of your innermost beings will flow forth rivers of living water. Oh, church, we need the Holy Spirit in our lives in order to worship. Oh, we're never going to come to worship in spirit and in truth without His Holy Spirit. You know, we, we call Curtis the worship leader, but he's not really the worship leader. The Holy Spirit is. Curtis, Curtis might pick some songs and start some songs and prayerfully decide which way to go and which keys and help us on the piano and singing and, and all of that, but the Holy Spirit has to be the worship leader. And when we try to worship without the Holy Spirit, all we're doing is rote. We're worshiping the way that Saul did at the tabernacle without the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is the presence today. We don't have the Ark of the Covenant. If we did, I think we'd be probably a little bit scared to worship near it, wouldn't we? But honestly, that same level of reverence is how we ought to be on Sunday morning, knowing that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, shouldn't it? That's a whole other sermon we ought to have. Again, I, I go back to the... Uh, 
Raiders of the Lost Ark scene there. Whew! That put the fear of God in me as a 10-year-old. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives if we are going to be conduits of healing to the nations in the NRV. To see the New River Valley filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. To pump the glory of God through the pipeline of Tried Stone Christian Center into the New River Valley. Just get a picture there. The healing glory starts with God in His temple, but it was never intended to stay there. It's when we invite the Holy Spirit in our temples and when we jump into the river of life, into the water which flows from His glory, His presence. It's when we worship Him, it's when we give way to the Holy Spirit, when we're inundated by Him, we no longer stand against the current or swim against the current. Then we will see the nations healed for His glory. The trees don't start in the ankle-deep water. The trees aren't growing. They're they're not just at the top where it's knee-deep or the trickle at the top. It's down the banks, further down the river as he's taking them back to the bank. Then he begins to, to show them the trees. Look what's happening. All these nations, it's when you get out in the deep water, when you trust in me and when you worship me, as you yield to the Holy Spirit, then there's going to be healing for the nations. Oh, yes, the water begins in his temple but it's not intended just for us. The flow of God's river is concerned about the relief of human suffering. The river of life is a healing stream. It flows into the Dead Sea and it heals it. That's the beauty of Ezekiel's vision. Throughout the Old Testament, during Moses' and David's and Solomon's day, it was easy to think about God as being exclusive, but... Obviously, now in this church age, we have the Holy Spirit. We know that we have access to Him. And there's this picture of the Old Testament of the nations being healed by God's glory. It comes from His temple. The nations, not just Israel. I hope you're getting it. So, let us remember that this temple, or the temple, was merely a dwelling place of God. A dwelling place, not the dwelling place. Temples were a connection point between God and man. After God kicked Adam and Eve from the garden, from Eden, after they lost their privilege to commune with the Father, there was a hole, there was a piece missing. And it wasn't until Moses' day that he built a tabernacle so that there could be fellowship again, some sort of communion with God, a place where they could go to him. Now, in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 17, Stephen and Paul both, and we don't have time to go there this morning, but... Stephen and Paul both bring this out that temples really were not made for God. They were made for man. It was a connection point, and I hope that that's been clear. But we need to allow this to sink in that the temple was never for God. When God's glory came down and filled the tabernacle or filled the house, filled the temple, these houses that were made by hands, it it signified acceptance of their worship, not containment of their presence, of His presence. The same thing is true for us today. When His Holy Spirit fills us, it signifies acceptance of our worship. The worship that we can have on behalf of the work of Christ Jesus. The sacrifice that He made once for all. And it's it's pleasing to God when Jesus was sacrificed, now we've been consecrated, our body's a temple. He signifies to us, this is a type and shadow, that it's pleasing in an acceptable house, and He sends His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit fills our temple, but it was never meant to be contained in our bodies. He says, I want you to carry that same glory cloud with you everywhere you go. I don't want you to contain me. I want you to bring that life-giving flow of the water to the Dead Sea around you. And yet, the church can't even do it because two-thirds, three-quarters, 90% of us, we don't even have a trickle. We haven't been filled. 
The point is that God wants to expand his glory over his entire creation. But the most amazing part to me is that we have a role to play in all of this. His glory extends over the nations because we are his dwelling places. Do you know that John's revelation of the new earth, the new Jerusalem, specifically states that there's no temple? Allow that to sink in. The temple was never made for God. He doesn't want it. It's just a connection point. The same way these man-made temples were temporary, God foreknew that there would be a time coming when we would worship Him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? That when we would worship God in His spirit, it is like we would have personal access to His glory cloud like Moses did, as David did, as Solomon did. Because Jesus ascended to the Father and sent His paracletos, who came to lead us into all truth, to fill our temples. Do you remember last week I said that the tabernacle was a shadow, a mere copy of what is to come? Well, I believe God ordained the tabernacle and He allowed the temple to be built to teach us something about His plans for the future. That worship and the glory of God is not just for those that love Him. Church, our worship is always toward God. All that I have been teaching on the past five weeks, is not, it's not about us. The purpose isn't just selfish. It's that the people of Blacksburg, the people of the New River Valley may come to know Him. That's what his worship is about. We're that connection point. But in order for the New River Valley and the Dead Sea, in which we're surrounded by, to be healed, we have to first get our temples filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to cleanse temple and allow him to come in, find a good place. Do you know... Worship is much bigger than about just feeling good on a Sunday. Ooh, how was, how was church today? Oh, worship was so good. I've talked about that. Isn't that how we often mark a good church service? Pastor had a good sermon. Oh, worship was so sweet. What if instead of evaluating how gathering was, let's not think of it as church, church seven days a week, wherever you have it. Instead of evaluating success on a congregational meeting by how sweet worship was or how the sermon was, we evaluated on, man, I got so filled up with the glory of God today, you better believe that Dead Sea is coming to life this week. My belly's gushing, you better watch out, I'm going to blast you. Pleasing worship is more important than what you get out of it. Let's contend and look at, man, worship was so good. I was so excited that at lunch, I went and three people came to Jesus. That's how I know I had good worship on Sunday. Man, pastor's word was so good that when I left here, I was praying for this person in a wheelchair and they got up out of it. that the nations may be reached. That the New River Valley would be reached. That the New River Valley would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. When you honor God through thanksgiving and praise and adoration and communion, it changes you. It affects you spiritually in ways that you cannot see, which in turn will be a blessing to other, others. Worship God because He deserves it, yes. Worship God because you're commanded to, yes. But may we also worship God for the sake of others. I'm going to close out with a, with a vision that a woman named Cindy Jacobs, anyone heard of her? She's a prophetic voice and does a lot of evangelism and teaching with her husband. She had many years ago. I want to read this to encourage you. It encouraged me when I read it some years ago and I've been saving it. 
So I had a vision while I was in a hotel room in Temple, Texas. I was all alone and not met anyone in the city. At six in the morning, there was a knock on my door which awakened me out of a sound sleep. Puzzled and a little shaken, I peeked out of the window and no one was around. As I lay back down, I murmured, do you want to show me something, Lord? Did you wake me up? Immediately, I began to have a vision. It was a vision of a river and I knew it was the river of life. Oh, what a beautiful sight it was. I thank God over and over for showing it to me. All of a sudden, I saw people come and get in the river. I realized they were the church. They started throwing up into the river and tossed garbage from their houses into the water, causing it to become polluted and unclean. The people erected a large pediment sign that, that read, River of Living Water. I asked the Lord what had polluted the river, and he said to me, in my heart, judgmentalism, criticism, sectarianism, strife, and divisions, these have polluted my river. After a while, I saw people coming to the bank of the river. I sensed they represented the world. They looked at the sign and the people in the river who appeared to be having a fabulous time and decided to try the water. Kneeling down, they started to drink. It only took one taste, and they spat it out of their mouths while with disgust and went away. Meanwhile, the church hardly noticed what, what had happened. Nobody could tell that the water was polluted because they had tasted it so long that they thought it was good. No one was able to tell the difference between polluted and clean water. Later, they all got out of the river and fell asleep on either side of the bank. The army of God was fast asleep and no one cared what had happened to God's river. As time passed, a couple of sleepers awakened and looked up, astonished at the river. They tried to shake the others awake but were unsuccessful. I believe they represent the prophetic gifts in the church. At last, two angels from heaven came down and put little pots of eye salve into their hands, instructing them to put it in the eyes of those asleep. The two prophetic people applied the salve to each person, one at a time. Everyone had the same response after having the medicine put in their eyes. They sat up, looked at the river, and declared, Oh, what has happened to the river of God? How did we let this happen? Finally, they all stood up in one accord and went into the river to try to clean it up. Alas, they sadly failed. It was too polluted for individuals to clean it with their hands. As I watched, I could see they had found a strategy. They were building a huge water purification plant in the middle of the river. As they finished the plant, I saw a tiny trickle of fresh water flow out from the other side of the unit. Then increasingly water flowed until the trickle became a stream and at last the stream became a mighty river pure and clean. The water purification plant represents the houses of prayer which are springing up all over the world. Isaiah 56, 7 says, Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations. The next sight I saw was puzzling to me. I saw trees on either side of the riverbank dropping their leaves into the river. It was several years before I would come to the understanding that the leaves were for the healing of the nations. The last part of the vision is the most precious. In the vision, children were in the river laughing and playing. They splashed and dunked each other having a perfectly glorious time. I believe this is symbolic of the children's revival which will span the globe. The ending part of the scene was a great blessing. I saw the people of the world come and look at the children in the river, gazing at one another. They asked, should we try to drink one last time from the river? Kneeling down, they put their mouths to the water and began to drink. They drank and drank and drank as if they would never get enough of the pure river of life. At that moment, the Lord spoke to me and said, oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good.